0: My wife and I are going to be speaking at a marriage retreat this weekend, and we were asked, uh, another church we've never gone to, to do that. I think a word is getting out how awesome of a husband I am, and and the people want to know how how we have such a great marriage. So we're going to be doing four sessions. Three of them are joint, but one is a breakout session, so I've got my topics for the men, but I thought I would help Karen with some topics for the women. So here are some ideas. You don't have to use these. You don't have to use all of these. But topic number one, I would suggest is up in winter, down in summer. How to adjust the thermostat. I think that's a great topic. Another one is topic number two. What takes more energy? Putting the toilet seat down or complaining about it for three hours? Is that a good one? Um, Number three, the fundamental differences between a purse and a suitcase. Topic number four, how to ask questions during commercials and be quiet during the program. So I'm wondering which of those she will be using in her marriage seminar topic. And you're probably thinking, you need some help. You need some help. And the truth is, we all need help. We all need help. And if you're born again, you have all the help you need because you have the power of God in you. And that really applies, not only in marriage, because without that, without God in you, marriages have no chance, right? Especially after what I just said. But we have the ability to overcome our Problems in whatever relationship we have in life because of the power of God in us. You have the power. Now, the last time we were studying this book, the book of Acts, we had just started the series and the series we have called to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, because that's the, the point of the, of the book of Acts is to bring the gospel past where we live. And get it out into the community. And get it out to our region. And get it out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we notice that the book of Acts is nothing more than a continuation of the Gospels. The four Gospels, Matthew ended with the resurrection. Mark ended with the ascension. Luke ended with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And John ended with the promise of Jesus' return. All four of those topics are covered in the first 11 verses of Acts. And so Acts is this natural funnel that comes out of the Gospels, and it just relates to once Jesus leaves, now what? You know what? We're still in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts ends rather abruptly. It's weird. The reason is because it, the story continues. Here we are today, still in the New Testament, in the, in the church age that started here in the book of Acts. Now, after the disciples heard Jesus promise the Holy Spirit, they wanted to know if now was the time he was going to set up his kingdom. Obviously, the kingdom is what they wanted all along. The reason that they really wanted the kingdom, I'm not saying the only reason, but a big reason, is because of the Gentile oppression that they had been under for centuries and at that time the time of the gospels the time of the writing of the book of acts they were still under the oppressive rule of the gentile kingdom of rome and so they 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 thought okay now jesus died and rose again and now he's talking about the spirit it must be time to set up the kingdom Look at Acts 1 in verse 6, where it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know, and it actually does make sense that they would be asking about this. Look at verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So in other words, I don't I don't think he's saying you shouldn't be asking this question. I don't think he's scolding them for, for wanting to know. He doesn't say that you shouldn't be asking the question. He's just teaching them. It's not a foolish question. He's not rebuking them, but he's teaching them that, that listen, there are some things that are in God's hands, in the Father's hands. And this is one of them. But this is a legitimate question. Why? Because in the prophet's, Whenever the prophets were talking about this future messianic kingdom that was foretold, and it's still going to happen, folks, as sure as I'm standing here today, the kingdom will happen. But it won't happen until Jesus comes back to this earth after a seven-year tribulation period. But but the prophets, like Joel and Ezekiel, were both predicting, the or, or at least tying together, the, the Spirit coming upon people and the millennial reign, the, the kingdom reign of the Messiah. So let's look at Ezekiel 36, and you can read the whole chapter, but this verse says it all. In verse 27, it says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. This is a passage that has to do with the Miss, the messianic age the we, we we would call it the millennial reign of christ on the earth you have the spirit that's promised so so jesus is saying my spirit's coming so they must have assumed okay ezekiel and joel joel also predicted this uh the spirit's going to come and therefore it must mean that the the kingdom is going to be set up Joel 2, 29, it says, And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. So the, the kingdom, the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, is going to have that, that aspect of the Spirit of God being poured out upon people. But we live in a very unique day in which every person in this age, in this dispensation we call the church age, that has believed that Jesus died and rose again. They put their trust in Him. They are, they are immediately indwelt by the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit into the body of Christ. But there is a messianic age, and it's, and it's an age we should all long for because it's an age in which Jesus will be here present on the earth, ruling from Jerusalem ruling on David's throne and putting down all rebellion and all sin and there won't be any of the heartache that we're experiencing now. I hope you're longing for that day. I hope you're not satisfied with this world. Many Christians are. They're in love with the world. They're not in love with Jesus. I hope you're in love with Jesus and that's going to kind of release your grip a little bit on this earth and those things that you think you have to have to be happy The messianic age is our hope, even today. And God has an eternal purpose for the earth. Some people say, well, we have such a mess that, you know, that that God's just gonna, you know, toss out the earth. No, he has an eternal purpose for the earth. And the kingdom of God is gonna involve the reestablishment of David's house. And all of this is still coming and it's all future. But they were thinking, okay, now, now's the time. They they didn't expect him to die, but he died, but then he rose again, and he's promising the Spirit, so they think, okay, he must be setting up his kingdom now. So that's why they asked that question. Now, there are two things that Jesus talked about. One was the Spirit, and one was that he would be coming back. Look at Acts 1-3. Earlier, In chapter 1, Jesus, it says that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Okay? What were the many infallible proofs? And I find out there are many infallible proofs for the truth of God and the truth of the scriptures. And I look at just the vastness of the universe, the size of some of the stars. the the intricacies of the cells, all of these incredible things that are proof of God, or, or, or of a creator. These things didn't just happen. I don't care how much time you give them. But that's not what this is talking about. These many infallible proofs here are the resurrection appearances that Jesus arose and he showed himself to so many different people. It's being seen 40 days and speaking the things, what does it say? Pertaining. To the kingdom of God. So even there in his resurrection, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So it's not surprising to us that they would be asking the question. Okay, you're talking about the spirit. You've risen again. It must be time for the kingdom. They're longing for it. They want it. And he says, no, my father has a plan. Isn't that kind of hard sometimes when... You don't know everything and you don't know the plan and you want to know the plan and and I want to know everything and I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow and then in one week and then in one month and in one year. I want to know what's going to happen in 10 years, Lord, reveal all this to me. He's not going to. But it's hard for us, right? Because we want to know. What's the plan? I know he has a plan. I trust him. But I want to know now and I want to know everything. Well, there's a reason he doesn't tell you Everything. And I think part of the reason is because you probably would quit if he told you everything that you might have to go through for him to make you the person that he wants you to be. That's the point here, right? He's going to be making you everything he wants you to be. God has a plan. The father has a plan right now. The kingdom will be established. I am a hundred percent positive of that. I have no doubts at all, but I don't know when that will be. I think it's going to be soon. And But but what's he doing right now? Why didn't he set up his kingdom right then and there? Well, he has a plan in this age. And we've been 2,000 years in this church age. But what is he doing? He's calling out a people to his name. He's calling out the church to be a bride for his son. And this is exactly what they were discussing at the first council the first church council in Jerusalem. One of our our pastors here, our vice president of Dayspring Bible College, called the first Jerusalem council the first grace conference. And we have a grace conference here every summer in June. And we talk about salvation by grace and we want to make sure that that message is kept pure and simple and we don't add anything to it. We don't confuse people to it. And certainly they were dealing with that. Look at Acts 15. But also... Here, James is, is pointing out that S- Simon, Peter, was declaring that God was visiting in this, in this time, this church age. Why didn't he set up his kingdom? Because he's calling out a people from the Gentiles. Now, not just the Gentiles, but primarily the Gentiles. It says in Acts 15, 14, Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's the point of him not setting up his kingdom right now. For you and for me, for us to be part of this, to be called out for his name. And then in verse 17, it says that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doth all these things. That's why the kingdom was delayed, so that God could call out from primarily Gentiles, not just Gentiles, because obviously they were, uh, most of these people that are are speaking here aren't Gentiles, they're Jewish, and the church isn't Jew or Gentile, we're all one in Christ, but if you look at the church, it's primarily Made up of Gentile. And so today God is visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people. He's calling out those people from the world, those that trust Christ and, and are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body. And he's, he's doing this for a reason. And the reason is for us to be able to share the message of the gospel to more people. That's why he's delayed his kingdom. But even though his kingdom is not now, God is going to, to do something very special to his, for his church in this time. And that's in the next verse of Acts 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. So he says, the father isn't going to, well, he didn't say exactly what was gonna happen, but his, by implication is the kingdom isn't gonna be right now. The father knows when it is, the times and the seasons. But in the meantime, while you're waiting, here's something really cool for you. You're going to receive power. How many of us need power? We need power. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a loss of electricity. We don't know what to do when the power goes out. We are, most of us would be dead in like a day if we didn't get our electricity back we don't know how to function we don't know what to do once the batteries all run out we're in big trouble right we need power you know and and when you're traveling you you, one of the hard things about traveling is making sure you bring your charging cables and your adapters and all the stuff that you need because you got to plug in all your stuff We need power. And Jesus is saying, you're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. This is a big, big part of the book of Acts is that uh, it explains the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Almighty God coming and dwelling us. The power that we're going to receive is incredible. Now, with that power comes responsibility. It's not just power so that you're powerful. It's power so that you can do something powerful for him. What is that? Look at the rest of the verse. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We have a task we have a commission, the commission that Jesus gave his followers are to you and to me, not just to pastors, not just to evangelists, not just to missionaries. Sometimes it's easy to pay the professionals to do the witnessing. but That's not what God wants. God wants you to have the blessing of sharing the gospel to somebody say, Pastor Scudder, that scares me to death. You know what? I'm nervous when I share the gospel, but we've got to get past that and see a soul that they need to hear this message. If you had the cure for cancer, would you withhold it from somebody that's dying? You wouldn't. You wouldn't be afraid, even if they mocked you or or thought you're crazy. If you really, really had the cure for cancer, I don't think anything anything would stop us. Or if you see a building burning down, how many of us wouldn't at least go and pound on the door and yell and scream? to make sure there's no one in there, or if there is someone in there, to help them get out. We all would do that, I think. And so it is. We've received power. The Holy Ghost is coming upon us so that we can be witnesses, that we can share the gospel. Even facing rejection and ridicule, we're gonna do it. Because this is the most important thing in this world. Way more important than anything else you can be doing. And you know what? No matter what you've done in your life, no matter the mistakes that you've made in your life, you can be a powerful witness to Jesus Christ, especially if you've messed up your life. You can be a more powerful witness because God can still use you in a mighty way to share the gospel with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your boss, with your spouse, with your children, with your relatives, with anyone that you can think of. Hey, the gospel is not complicated, is it? There is a God We've sinned. Jesus is the son of God came and died on a cross and rose again. And if you'll trust in him, you'll be saved. I mean, we've got a really easy message too. Okay. And so we're supposed to take this message. God, Jesus has personally commanded each one of us. If, if you're, if you're here, or let's say you're at home, you're, you're at home by yourself. You get a knock on the door. You open the door and it's Jesus. Okay. And Jesus says to you, listen, I'm going to use you because you're sitting in the front row. Jeff, Jeff, I have something special for you to do. I'm giving you a commission. I want you to take the gospel to this person and this person, this person, this person. There's no way he would say no. There's no way you would say no to that. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you that that is exactly what Jesus is doing to you personally. He's giving you a commission to to bring the gospel to people. And and not just for an evangelist, not just for a pastor, not just for a missionary. You are supposed to go and bring the gospel to those around you. That's Jerusalem. That's the the center of of the bullseye. And then the next circle out, would be Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. And then the further region is Samaria. And if you can picture Israel, uh, Samaria is just to the north of Jerusalem. And then it says to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that, there is no uh, radius that that doesn't encompass. Okay. So we are to, we are to make sure that we are personally bringing the gospel to people you say well how how do i do that what what can i do hey we've got resources for you if you want to know how to do it what not to say what to say we've got i mean again all you need is to know that you're saved and that you can explain how you got saved. That's really all you have to know. But if you want to get better at it, we've got a whole bunch of materials: evangelism made simple book, workbook, DVDs. We have tracks. We have all these things that you can use. And at the very least, do this: leave a track. At the very least, I'm so nervous, I can't tell, I can't talk, I can't. I'm you know, just leave a track. Leave a track. Uh, if you are at a restaurant, leave a good tip. A good tip. Don't leave it. Don't be a cheapskate and leave a track. Not at least our tracks. Okay, you can leave another churches, but not ours. Okay, so so we have a task. We have been empowered to accomplish this task. God has given you something that you can use to do this. You remember Moses when God told Moses, "I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him this and this and this." And Moses was like, man, I. I can't do that. I don't speak well, uh, and 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 God said, "Okay, I'm going to give you Aaron, and Aaron's going to help you." And you know what? You have something better than Aaron. You have the Holy Spirit, and you'll be amazed if you're just obedient in this area. You'll be amazed at the things coming out of your mouth. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Like be prepared and you know have, have some knowledge of, of some verses and at least know some of the, there's probably like five or 10 questions that everybody asks. I mean, it's like the same questions, okay? So it's not to say you shouldn't know all of that, but but just start talking, just start loving people enough. And, and you say, how do I start a conversation? Uh, talk about something everybody likes to talk about, okay? If they're a grandparent, talk about their grandkids. If they're a parent, talk about their kids. People love talking about their, their grandkids. You know, ad nauseum, actually. Not me, but, but you guys do that. It's just, you know, it's... it's Talk about the weather. Talk talk about sports, right? Whatever it is that you can connect with people that, that they probably will connect with you and then be a good listener and hear what they have to say. And then, you know, some people, might I might ask them, hey, do you have any... Uh, did you go to church? Do you go to church anywhere? Did you go to church when you were a kid? You know, try to figure out a little bit about their background, and then, and then you'll be able to know what direction to go. It's it's easier than you think, and it's it's such a joy when you can share the gospel with people. And all your responsibility, all you're responsible to do is share the message. You don't have to be the attorney; you just have to be the spokesperson. All you have to do is tell them what it is, okay? And God will bless in a, in a huge way. You have the power of the Spirit within you and then jesus said you're going to be witnesses unto me our witness is to christ he's the center of attraction and that and he will attract people uh, to himself as well a few years ago um, many years ago now the museum of science and industry that was one of my favorite places to go in chicago as a kid it was a museum but it never felt like a museum any of you agree with me You know, they had the submarine and they had the airplanes and and they had the, you put a, was it a nickel in or a quarter in and it makes you a plastic elephant or something. I still smell that plastic smell. I'm sure that wasn't good for you. But they had this display. It was a checkerboard. And on the first square of the checkerboard, it had one grain of wheat. The second square had two. The third square had four. The next square had eight. And 16 and 32 and 64. And they at one point couldn't fit any more seeds on the square. And can you guess when they got to the 64th square of the checkerboard, if you could fit how many grains of wheat would be on that, that last chair, last square, if you're multiplying it from one, how many would be on that last square? Enough grains of wheat. To cover the subcontinent of India 50 feet deep. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so how are we going to win the world, folks? It's by not addition, but it's by multiplication. In other words, I need to share the gospel with someone, and then I need to teach them how to share the gospel, and they need to do that too. And if we'll do that, we'll win the world. If we won't, we won't. Okay, It's that simple. Multiplication is the key. Let's continue on Acts 1 and verse 9, and it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. Jesus is taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. And behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Can you even imagine what this must have been like? Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You have the ascension of Jesus Christ. He is going to the right hand of the Father to sit on the throne next to the Father with the promise of return. That promise of return still stands. He is coming back. So let us not just stand there gazing into heaven. Go. Go. We don't know how much time we have. Some people think space travel is relatively new. No. Jesus took off without a launching pad, without a space suit, without a missile. He went up into heaven and there was a cloud that received him. What kind of cloud? Was it a a cloud of moisture? No, it was Probably a a cloud of Shekinah. What is Shekinah? That's the glory of God. The cloud and the pillar that was the evidence of God over the tabernacle and over the temple. And that cloud, by the way, went up, if you read about it, in the day of Jeremiah, when Nebuchadnezzar was coming against Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem, and God gave them a chance, and they did not repent as a city and as a people, the cloud left the temple and went over the Mount of Olives and went up. And that's exactly where Jesus went up. The cloud was the glory of God. And, and Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed this, John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. If you see Jesus today, you'll see him in glory. You'll see him shining. You'll see him still a man, but a, 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 a uniqueness about him because he is glorified and he's coming back. And when you see him coming back, by the way, you will be with him if you're saved, it'll be amazing. Same spot, he'll come right back down to the Mount of Olives. And that's actually what Revelation tells us. Revelation 1-7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. So we had a cloud receiving him. Just as when he came into this earth in Bethlehem, he was swaddled, he was uh, surrounded by white. And so when he left the earth and ascended, he was surrounded by white. He's coming back with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. This same Jesus, the glorified Jesus, is going to return in the same way, in the same place that he left. And what's gonna happen when he comes back and when he sets his feet back on the earth? Zechariah predicts this in verse uh, 4 of Zechariah 14. And his feet shall stand in that day upon where? The Mount of Olives. That's where he just ascended, which is before Jerusalem on the east. It's one of my favorite places to stand. There's a, a, a promenade there and different uh, levels that you can stand and just gaze down upon the, the beautiful city of gold, the city of Jerusalem. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives and when his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives on that day, The Mount of Olives shall cleave in the mist thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Can you even imagine such a thing? The Mount of Olives dividing into two, you say, why? Because the Bible actually predicts during the millennium there's a temple standing in Jerusalem. The Bible also predicts there's a temple standing in the tribulation, it's a whole three-part series coming out next week on In Grace. you got to watch that where we traced the red heifers from Dallas to Israel. We interviewed the rabbis, the heart makers, the guy growing the, the temple incense. We showed a video of me touching the beams that might have come from Solomon's and Herod's temples. We interviewed a lady that uh, found in the, the sifting project on Mount Scopus where they took all the dirt out of the temple mount to build an underground mosque and they sifted it. They found all these tiles and they didn't know... Um, you know, they knew it was the floor of probably Herod's temple, but they didn't know how to to put them back together. And she was a a math major and she loved puzzles. And so she said, hey, I'll give it a try. And she figured it out. She's world famous for figuring out the pattern of the tiles on the floor of the temple of Herod. When I interviewed her, she was actually also the one that found the curse tablet on Monty Ball, probably the greatest archaeological discovery since the Dead Sea Scrolls. She was more... Excited about the tiles in the temple. All of that is in this series. But the millennial temple will stand there and water will flow out of it and go to the Mediterranean and go to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea coming to life. The Dead Sea coming to life. And there are right now fish in the Dead Sea sinkholes right next to the Dead Sea where everything is dead. There are fish. I know for sure because I'd let them chew on my feet, on my legs, and we have a film of all of this. You have a crazy pastor in this church. So all of this is predicted. All of this is predicted. He left. He's coming back. There is going to be a day he comes back. And, and at that day, time's up to share the gospel. Time's up. You don't have any more opportunities. When is that going to be? I would love to tell you exactly the day. And if I did, though, I think you would have to uh, remove me as the pastor. Because the Bible says you, you won't know the day. You won't know the hour. I think we might understand the season. I think the Bible is very clear that there is going to be a Jewish temple standing, that the Antichrist is going to desecrate halfway through the tribulation. Do we see any signs today of them wanting to build, rebuild the temple? Yeah, we just told you about a whole series that we're doing about it. And they were saying um, that you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you would be considered a lunatic if you wanted to build a temple. Today, members of Knesset want to build a temple. You would be considered crazy if you wanted to pray on the Temple Mount. They say almost everybody today says they should be able to pray on the Temple Mount, Jewish people. So things have really changed and there's momentum right now to build the temple. Well, there's a problem, right? What's the big problem? Well, the Dome of the Rock is the big problem. I read in the news today, that there are some anti-Christian Quran verses adorning the outside of the Dome of the Rock. I wasn't aware of this. But because of the late, latest rains and I guess some of the earthquakes and tremors they're facing over there right now. Some of those t- anti-Christian tiles from the Quran are falling off the Dome of the Rock. Right now. That's not in the show. I wish I had known about it. We're about done with the edit. So, is it, is it soon? I, I think it is. We also know that there's going to be a mark that you will not be able to buy or sell in the tribulation period. You have the mark on your right hand or forehead it's also a mark that shows allegiance to this final dictator, this antichrist and, and do we have the technology today to do away with cash? Yeah, as a matter of fact that's what they're calling for they're calling for digital currencies and um and, and you know really they're calling for no borders. And they're, they're all the things that you would imagine, one religion, one government, one currency, one economic system, that is the call. Now, I hope that we push back on this stuff. I hope America doesn't join into that, but it depends on who our leader is at the time. Some leaders push back at that. Globalism, some did not. But I, I, I still see it all happening right now, so I think we're near the end. The earth is for, full of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, wickedness, opposition to God. So I think the Lord's return is soon. I know it's imminent. It can be at any moment. But I believe it's soon. It is predicted. We've been given a commission, a task. God has, Jesus has personally asked you to share his message with hurting people. And I hope that you will do that. Let me end with a poem I don't know the author's name, but it has to do with sharing the gospel to those around you. You lived next door to me for, uh, for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, our tears. A friend to me, you were indeed a friend who helped me in my need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as should endure. No spats between us, ever arose. Our friends were alike and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that, after all, you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked of second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Christ who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today, my bonds to free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. Sobering, possibly true of all of us. Are there people in our lives that we've been close to, that we've been friends with, Or other people in our life that we can be close to and friends with that we have neglected to share the gospel with. Well, what if, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they, uh, what if they ridicule me? What if they ask me a question I don't have an answer for? Listen, there's a lot of excuses. We still have to do the thing that God tells us to do. And so let's recommit to doing that. We have the power. We have the power. We have the almighty God in us. And, and with that power, if we're just willing to take the step forward, you'll be surprised at what God will do. I've been sitting with people at times and, you know, they seem to be kind of, let's say, on an airplane and they don't really want to talk. And, and you just start praying, Lord, give me an opportunity. Open a door. And if you pray that, instead of being scared or or whatever, just say, Lord, give me an opportunity and then also help me to say the right things and to to, to be able to um, share with them uh, the message of hope, the message of the gospel. And it's amazing that God can can answer that in such incredible ways. And he can do that for you. He can do that for you. It's a challenge. And I'll tell you this, you can't take it with you to heaven But you can take a friend to heaven. Isn't that amazing? You're not going to have your bank account in heaven or your retirement account or your life insurance. Uh, You're going to, though, be able to bring people to heaven, can't you? So we have a commission. We have the Lord telling us what to do. We have the Spirit of God to empower us. Let us do that. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is really simple we're lost, we're sinners, we can't save ourselves. We are hopeless in and of ourselves, but God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. And whosoever, anybody, believes in him. What does believe mean? It means to trust in him, to put your faith in him. Should not perish, which is hell, but have everlasting life, which is heaven. You say, Pastor, that's not what my church growing up taught me. They taught me I had to be a good person, and then hopefully one day I might make it. That's not what the Bible teaches, is it? That's what... John three sixteen says, "God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life." It just believe in him. You said, oh, "I have to, I have to be sorry, and I have to give to charity, and I have to be baptized." It's not what it says. I think you should probably understand how bad your sin is, and and there should be some sorrow that accompanies that. But that's not what God's asking you to do. God is asking you to just put your trust in Jesus, because he paid for all of your sin. And then in Ephesians 2, it says in verse 8, by grace are you saved through faith, same exact word, one's a noun, one's a verb, faith and believe, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Everyone understands a gift. It's a real simple concept. A gift is something that is given. You don't pay for it. You don't work for it. It can't be taken back. God is offering you a gift called eternal life. Jesus, the son of God, paid for your sins. He was perfect. You couldn't be. You aren't. He is. He was. He died for you and he rose again. If you'll believe in him, you'll be saved. That is the message that will get you to heaven and to save you not just for right now or tomorrow until you mess up. It saves you forever. You're accepting a pardon that is eternal. And then once you have eternal life, go and tell somebody else. It's that simple.